listen to your gut feeling that's my advice if you want to do it go ahead and do it because if you if it is in your heart you will come i mean you cross you will uh, you know climb over the mountains because to go to the other side if it is in your heart if it is not then uh, I, there is nothing anyone can do right so if your gut feeling says you want to do it go ahead and do it Hello, and welcome to another episode of South Asian Stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Ranjan Ravalia. Dr. Ravalia is a Hindu priest and wedding officiant in the New England area. However, she didn't start this career until she was 62 after a long career as an environmental scientist and a consultant in sustainable development for over 30 years. Ranjan's desire to learn about Hindu Vedic philosophy was reignited once more by the constant struggle and confusion when she was confronted by her children, nieces, and nephews of, why do we do this ceremony? What does this mean during religious events at the temple and at home? Inevitably, these questions were followed up by statements such as, I don't believe in that, or that sounds outdated. So Ranjan was determined to find the answers to these questions in a scientific and logical manner. She decided to go to Haridwar, India, which is one of the religious epicenters of India, and focused on learning and understanding the meaning behind Vedic rituals and ceremonies to address these common questions with grounded knowledge and understanding. This conversation was absolutely fascinating, and it taught me it's never too late to follow your dreams. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Ranjan Ravalia. Ranjan, welcome to South Asian Stories. We are thrilled to have you this morning. How is everything going? Wonderful. I have just moved to a new place. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to uh, talk with you as well. Yeah, and we were talking before the interview started, like um, there's been so much movement on our side and your side. So this is a very special interview because we got us in, in a good place and, and, and ready to record. So let's just uh, jump in and dive in. So Ranjan, could you go us and tell us from the way at the beginning, tell us about your childhood and and how South Asian was your family and maybe a favorite memory growing up? Uh, my uh, childhood is kind of a, a mix and match of places. I never grew up in, I never uh, could call myself that, oh, I grew up in India or, oh, I grew up in Africa or anywhere else because my mother and my my father were, went to Africa when I was only six months old. Uh, or to, uh, to say that I was uh, born in India, but then by, at the age of six, six months, my mom and my older brother, we all traveled to Africa because my father moved there for a job or some work-related, uh, you know, requirements. And uh, my mother uh, stayed there for a certain, you know, number of years, because in those days, you would have to travel by boat. And so she would stay there for two years and then come back to India because she misses her family. And uh, then she would come and stay again for a year, maybe a year and a half in India and then go back to Africa because my father misses her. And so we had kind of a, you know, a situation going on where my 
Uh, I would spend, you know, a number of years in Africa, then go to India, a number of years in India, then go back to, you know, uh, Africa and all that. So uh, that way I grew up in two places, India and Africa. In Africa, my parents were in Tanzania, which is part of uh, East Africa. Uh, Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania make East African countries. And then my uh, father was in Mwanza, which is the biggest, uh, this is the city on the biggest lake in Africa, which is Lake Victoria. And uh, so my memories are walking on the lake, going for ice cream. I think it was one of those times when you they had started soft serve ice cream. So it was something that uh, whenever we went, we would have either uh, fresh coconut or uh, soft serve ice cream. You know, things like that are the memories I have. And then uh, cassava, which is like a tapioca, uh, uh, which is uh, eaten very widely in African countries. And uh, so the other favorite memory of food is the roasted cassava. Oh, nice. With lots of salt and lots of chili powder and lots of lime. Yeah. So, you know, those kind of things I remember the most. And uh, because my mom could not uh, travel, I mean, it was not that she couldn't travel, but it was it was hard with a lot of, you know, with five kids. Yeah. Uh, my mom could not travel all the time. So I was I went to a boarding school in uh, Gujarat where, uh, you know, in Porbandar where Mahatma Gandhi is born. So they have a girls, all girls uh, boarding school there. Right. So I went there for four years. And uh, then uh, went back to uh, Ahmedabad, which is uh, the big city in Gujarat and the capital of Gujarat. And... um, I went to school there when my mom came back. So I have uh, uh, various places I grew yeah. up. Yeah. So, and so one of the things I'm, I'd love to probe on, Ranjan, is identity and the fact of who you who people are as people. Um, you know, because for me, you know, I, my family is Indian, but I'm born in America, so Indian American. So I think listeners here always think about what does makes me who who I am so how would that how would you describe that question or how would you answer that given that you've grown up in India you've grown up in Africa you've now spent time in America has has the question of identity something that's come up and you've thought about um that's a very good question in terms of the fact that you don't give that a lot of thought as you are growing up but uh, it always comes in between you and who you are, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, as I was in uh, Africa, in India, I always felt like, you know, that I don't belong in India because my thought process was completely different than uh, the other uh, youngsters that I was with. So I always felt I didn't belong. Yeah. And then I, uh, uh, I, from there, from India, I went to England and uh, England, it was like, oh my goodness, it is a different place. Still, you feel that you are not Indian. 
Right. Because I grew up in Africa, I grew up in India, and then you are put in a different, uh, altogether a different uh, locale or a community that uh, you had never experienced before. Because uh, obviously England is not uh, what uh, Africa looks like or is not what India looks like. Yeah. And it was a tough, uh, you know, adjustment to make from Africa to India to England. Right. And uh, then uh, two, three years in England and all of a sudden I'm here and it's like, oh my goodness. It is a, uh, it is a, such a change even from England to America because it's, it's, the culture is different, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Americans think differently. English people think differently. Obviously, Indian and uh, Africa uh, people from Africa also think uh, differently. So after 34 years of living in uh, America, I feel like I belong somewhere. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, be- I do feel that. I, I'm not, uh, I'm seriously considered, I mean, I feel that I never felt at home in Africa. I never felt at home in India. And obviously, it was a great change to come to to uh, England. And then I didn't stay long enough to call myself whether I like it or not, because it was just three years. Sure. But after 34 years here, it's I feel I finally belong here. So let me ask you about that. So 34 years it took you to feel at home somewhere. It's a long time yeah. to feel comfortable. What allowed you to feel at home here in, in America? Is is it just time? Is it people? Is it combination of things? Um, people, when I think about identity and people, I feel that I am uh, very much rooted in uh, our Indian community in Boston, greater Boston area. So I feel when I feel that when I think on those lines, then I feel that I'm very much Indian. Yeah. Then uh, uh, when I'm working and I feel uh, the freedom to do whatever you want and uh, to dream of whatever you want, uh, I feel that I'm very much American. And uh, I want, uh, because I feel that I could not dream in India or in Africa, and I didn't have enough time to dream in England. So uh, I feel that that probably makes me more American that I have the freedom to dream and I have the freedom for my children to dream as well. Yeah. So I think uh, that freedom makes me more American than anything else. Yeah. And that freedom is what, uh, I mean, you don't realize it when you grow up with it, but you see it when you didn't have it. Right. You know what I mean? That is so such a powerful notion, what, the freedom to dream. Yeah. And like, I think that mentality, you know, because my parents are immigrants, my grandparents are immigrants here, that you can be anyone you want to be when you're here, right? Like, you're not shackled by old expectations, old right. family members, things that you should be or should do this. Um, and like, you know, your background, you know, you have a PhD, right? And you, in, in, from, from your, the bio, it says you defied your father's expectations to, to do that. Tell us about that. My father, oh my God. Somebody asked me a, a few days ago about my father as well. 
my father was a tyrant for my mother, not for me or I mean, he was very strict, very strict. And I can say because he's not here and he's not going to argue <laughs> that he was a tyrant to my mother and law. Everybody was afraid of him. Uh, but uh, my father was very much old school and he was not the one to uh, to be able to, you know, say freely that, okay, fine, go ahead, do what you want, you know. So in that respect, my father was very strict and he would tell me, oh, just, uh, you know, I want to get you educated because then I want to find you a good husband. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, if that's the goal, I'm done. I've got my uh, bachelor's degree and find me a husband, you know. I, I didn't think it was working anyway. My father was so <laughs> adamant that he would find a, find a good boy for me. And obviously was not in the cards for him to find me one <laughs> until I finished my PhD. So uh, PhD was a, a work of uh, defiance in yeah. terms of like, uh, my father would say, oh, I don't want you to do it. And I said, okay, fine. I want to do it. I'm going to get a scholarship. If you don't want to give me anything, if you think that I'm wasting my time, so be it. Uh, but uh, you, the day you find a boy for me or a husband for me, I will give up what I'm doing. Sure. Until that, I need to keep busy, you know? Yeah. Was um was it getting the PhD a matter of interest, but or also a factor of defiance to, to your dad? Was it a little bit of both? I think it was a matter of uh, interest uh, at the very heart of it. Sure. But uh, superficially, it was a, a, a act of defiance because my uh, mother uh, mother was very strong yeah. uh, in terms of support for her children. Anybody who was uh, capable of doing whatever they could, she would, you know, provide the support. Emotional support was more necessary than. Uh, uh, other support because uh, you are uh, crushed by the pressure of the society that gives you, you know, no room to breathe, you sure. know, sure. and that societal pressure, my father was very much, uh, very much under that pressure, but my mother was not for some reason. She went to Africa with not a single vocabulary of English or uh, the native language of Africa, not Africa, of Tanzania, which is Swahili. So she had no, no concept of what to do when she boarded that boat that she went on. Right. And, uh, and for some reason, she made it home. Yeah. And uh, she defied the fact that, oh, somebody should come with you to drop you off all the way to Africa. My mother said, no, I'm going on my own and I'm going to deal with it as I go. And so, I think the, so she and that, must, had have been, that must have been a big influence on you having a strong woman who, you know, came to a new country, learned a couple of languages, raised five kids. Like that is not easy to do. And no, probably inspiration for you. It is very much. And uh, uh, she she's the strong uh, 
uh, role model for me. But stronger than her was my grandmother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my grandmother, my grandfather passed away when my father was only two and a half. So when my father and she had four children and she was the most beautiful woman that, uh, you know, would walk, uh, you know, in a white sari because uh, uh, in India, when your husband passes, you cannot wear color. And even if you don't have any other familial support, you have to earn a living. Mm -hmm. She used to, you know, what those smoking, uh, what is it called? Snuffing um, tobacco? Yeah. She would grind to a fine powder from morning till late in the afternoon and earn the minuscule amount of money that she needed to support her family. Wow. Wow. So that was, uh, I mean, she was the stronger one. Yeah. 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 And that's not easy. Wow. And especially being a um, uh, single woman with four kids and people looking down upon you, not supporting you. And especially when you don't have a husband, people just look down on you instead of, you know, uh, so, yeah, I have two strong women role models. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it I mean, I have to be grateful for that. Yes. Um, I want to switch gears, Ranjan, to talk about your second career, right? And, and, <laughs> and, and how amazing that you did this, you know, after having such an illustrious career, get your PhD working, and now you know, you're a, a female priest. And I, I want to talk about when did that interest in Vedic and Hindu philosophy start? And how, how, how has it come full circle to your career right now? It's funny, you know, uh, life has a certain, uh, uh, you know, surprises for you, right? Sure. Sure. And those surprises are, uh, are you take it or leave it kind of thing. So when I was, uh, as I said, I was in boarding school, right? So in boarding school, uh, there was uh, a teaching that, you know, every morning you get up, you do havan, you do recite Gita, you know, shlokas from Gita. There is a number of hours or number of minutes that you recite. Doesn't matter where you end up. So they have, you know, a list of shlokas that you recite. So you might, I might have recited Bhagavad Gita maybe a hundred times in three years uh, that I was at the boarding school because you take, you know, a certain number of stanzas every day that you recite. And then uh, you learn uh, about, you know, some Vedic scriptures, something that is one hour in the morning, you do all that. And so at that time, uh, I was uh, very much into, you know, you are impressionable, you are, uh, uh, you learn new things and you always wonder, you know, what it has, uh, how, what is the effect of all this, mm-hmm. right? And as you grow up, you know, life takes its own uh, uh, turns and twists and uh, you forget about all that. And you become like, uh, you, it has, uh, your brain has it in you that, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. I had the interest, didn't have the chance to, you know, explore it further. All of a sudden, you know, I, uh, 
my kids are getting married and they have questions and I am a very uh, spiritual person in lot many ways. I don't want to pressure anyone to follow certain things, but if I'm doing, I want people to participate with me. So my kids, I always said, you don't have to do it. If I'm doing it, you need to sit with me and just go through with me. You have questions, ask me if I have the answer, I'll give you. If not, we'll look it up. Or maybe the dancer will come five years later to you mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. The life has, you know, it's a learning process. You read something and it has a, a complete different if, impact on you. And because there is a seed that has been, you know, knowing on you and all of a sudden you say, oh, I think that is what it means. Sure. So uh, life gives you the, those experiences. So I wanted to, Uh, when they were growing up, I would always say, just sit and, you know, if you have questions, ask, but just go through with me. And then uh, when they, as they were growing, obviously there were questions and I'm not uh, fully, uh, you know, conversant with Vedic scriptures of all kinds. So if I can find out, I will try. So what happened when, uh, Uh, when my nephew was getting married. So he all of a sudden said, because he was getting married to an English woman, English girl. So she didn't want too much of a fuss about Indian wedding. But she wanted to go through uh, with the Indian wedding uh, because uh, she was getting into a family that was Indian. So there was a compromise to be made. So uh, my nephew calls me and says, Masi, I want you to conduct our wedding. Doesn't matter what you say. I don't want a priest. Wow. When he because, said that, how did, they, how did that make you feel? Were you like, oh, wow. Nervous? I was so honored. honored. I was okay. so honored. I mean, even today when I conduct uh, uh, any kind of wedding or ceremony, I feel honored because they are making a choice. Sure. On me to fulfill their desire their needs and that choice uh, if I am going to be a part of it, I want to do justice. I want to do it with a, with all my heart. Right. I right. don't want to just go through the motion of, you know, uh, doing a, a ceremony. So, and I honor, I get honored because I feel honored because I want, I'm part of their milestone yeah. in life. Right. Yeah. Not everybody does puja every day. Or they they have a special occasion that they want to do Satinara and Puja, or they want to celebrate certain you know events in their life, which are very you know commemorative, right? They, that you will remember those events for the rest of your life. So I feel honored, and I feel I did feel with my nephew. I felt really honored, and then I started thinking. I said I have to find out how to conducted properly with certain understanding with shlokas to be recited properly and not just, you know, go with the, what is it called? hundred mile speed, how the priest, you know, uh, recites shloka. Yeah, yeah. You can barely hear pronunciation. Yeah. And so I decided I needed to find out how to get to the bottom of that. So I went to Haridwar uh, which I found out where they have like uh, ashrams where you go and stay. So I stayed there for a year, for uh, a month and a half. 
and uh, prepared myself to, you know, conduct this ceremony. And all of a sudden, you know, there is somebody else who wants it, you know, and then uh, it just took off from there. Wow. Wow. And uh, I was, uh, um, I always you... tell the people also that I will be honored. I don't want to take it for granted. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Did you, um, so once you started doing your nephews and then you know one other one, um, how did you say you improved as a priest or what did, what did you start doing differently as you got more under your belt? I had always uh, decided when I did my nephew's uh, wedding, uh, wedding, I said, I will always ask the couple what they want. Mm-hmm. What is their goal in uh, taking undertaking a Hindu wedding? Yeah. Because not everybody, I mean, you have options, right? You could go to a city hall, get married, sign papers, you're all official. Uh, you go to, uh, if you are, uh, uh, if there is an interfaith or intercultural wedding, then uh, you could take one or the other, right? And there is no, nobody's going to say no. Uh, but once you take, make a decision that you want to go through with a Hindu wedding, then I want to make sure that they, what they want is what I want to deliver. Sure. If they sure. want certain things then uh, definitely I will. So every wedding I do is I ask the couple what their goals are and what is the most important thing in the Hindu wedding that you want to stress upon so that uh, there are other peripheral, you know, rituals that you do. But if, if I make it important enough for them then it, I would have succeeded yeah. in giving them a really uh, informational and something that would mean to them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, all the weddings that I do is different. Is there um, a wedding that sticks out to you that's very memorable that um, you can describe what the feeling was like to our listeners? Because I think a lot of people have attended weddings but they've never been on the other side where they're conducting weddings. So can you describe right. that to us? Um, the I'll tell you, I was so emotional about this. Um, I conducted a wedding in May, this past May. Mm-hmm. And normally, you know, they will call me auntie and, you know, and uh, I'll tell you, I was so emotional that... Uh, I couldn't hold it. I I had a drop of tear in my eyes. I said, I want you to know that even if you had asked, even if you had, you know, done the minimalist part of the wedding, I would have been happy because that is carrying on a tradition. You have undertaken that responsibility of you know, letting yourself know who you are and uh, where do you stand in the larger picture of life? It doesn't matter. And I, I completely believe also that even the young woman he was marrying, he, she also has certain things that, uh, uh, you know, she would like to carry it as a tradition from her faith. 
And uh, so I feel that any little incremental enhancement of the culture, any culture, is, uh, is a positive thing. I also, I mean, I know for a fact that we are losing language a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't want to lose a culture. So what about this wedding among the all the others you've done? What about this one made you so emotional? Because uh, when we were talking about it that that time he because he he had taken the lead, the boy had taken the lead because he was the Hindu part of the uh, marriage. Sure. Uh, and uh, so when I was talking to both of them, he told me that, uh, you know, there are so many things that uh, my cousins have done. I don't want that because mm. I feel like I was, you know, uh, I was constrained by my uh, needs. By Because I want, I don't want those old-fashioned uh, traditions, but I do want a tradition that is my own. Got it. So the fact so, that you wanted personalized and that made it made you feel like, oh wow, I'm customizing it for him and what he wants and yeah, brought a lot it was of very emotional for me. And me, the other thing was, I have to admit this, that I was so emotional <laughs> that normally I don't want to touch people without their permission, right? But I was so emotional and I I felt so close to him that uh, I gave him a hug that yeah. I don't I normally don't do that and uh, when I gave him the hug I was like oh my god what did I do only because if the priest had given a hug the, if it was a, uh, a male priest I would have questioned him right the, why is he giving a hug yeah yeah I am like uh, oh I shouldn't have done that sure. but I Carrie, I was totally into but, it. But you know so. what's beautiful about that moment, Ranjan, is the fact that you showed your human side of it. And like, sometimes I feel like when you're at weddings and the priest is not engaging with the couple, engaging with the audience, he's just trying, or he or she are just trying to get through the ceremony, you lose that uh, ability to connect with people, right? Which I think right. that's the point of, of a wedding, right? Is to, you, you're celebrating a beautiful partnership and connection between two people if you're not showing some emotion then like that loses some of the, the beautiful parts of, of it in my opinion yeah i guess i i didn't think like that but i i, I was questioning myself sure. i shouldn't have done that that's how i felt at that particular moment i said oh my god i really got carried away sure. and i felt uh, maybe you know it was over the top <laughs> i, I want to ask you about this and something you had mentioned is um you know, if a male priest had done this, you would have looked yeah. at him differently. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, in the, in the philosophy or, you know, when we're, you know, looking at weddings, it's primarily a male priest. So right. talk to us about, you know, the, you know, the gender stereotypes and doing jobs that may not be you know, historically women. How have you, how have you approached that? How, like, what is your thoughts behind it and being one of the few female Hindu priests? I think uh, the issue uh, is that um, I wanted to uh, just put myself out there. 
and I'm not a very traditional person to begin with. And uh, I, I told myself that, Hey, I like it. And I feel, I feel good about it. Uh, So I'm going to just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is the fact that I have to, there is an inner call. I feel that uh, I need to satisfy for myself rather than for anybody else, you know, and it has given me such a joy uh, that uh, I feel uh, there is no uh, reason for me to think, oh, I shouldn't do it or I should do it. Right. When I got my PhD, I had, uh, uh, I had, uh, there were more females in my group than males. Oh, great, great, great. So, and um, as I, uh, as I look uh, down my life, in you know over the years i feel that uh, i have never been uh, the person to be uh, restricted by gender roles yes. on, at all and gender roles are not uh, i have never felt that uh, there is one person or one uh, uh, has to do certain things. Yes, we divide, uh, uh, you know, our responsibilities If, uh, in terms of who can do it better than others, you know. Uh, but uh, I don't think that that, that has ever uh, restricted me from anything. Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. Um, I, I want to pass it on to Mira because she had a great question. I want her to ask it to you. Um, so <laughs> we had an audience question. Um, we had told our followers that we would be interviewing you soon. So we, um, we pulled for some questions and a question we had was, what do you think it would take to see more women in this field? Says it again. I, I, I think I missed one word in between. Sure. Um, so the question was, what do you think it would take to see more women in this field? Oh, I see. Ah, what would it take to see more women? I think uh, the barrier right now is the fact that uh, women don't see themselves mm. as a priest. Um, but, uh, and also the, the, the exposure of having to, uh, having to uh, learn at uh, later in life, people, I think a lot of women would not, uh, would not go out of their way. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel that uh, I might be overgeneralizing all this. Um, but uh, for me, it wasn't a lot of uh, issue. Because I have, I got my uh, second master's uh, in 2009. So I went to school in 2004 to get a second master's. So I have been a a lifelong learner. So this was nothing. Yeah. And I think for you, I mean, you've been blazing trails all your life, right? You know, and not even just you, your grandmother, your mother. So you've had a long line of women that have shown you what it takes to be great in terms of like you know the what 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 they've done with with their lives so i think right. p- seeing people like you people hearing your story 
And that's just one of the reasons we, we have this podcast is to show that you can do whatever you want to do. You just need to find someone that, you know, may have blazed the past and you can follow their lead. And sometimes people don't have mentors or or people to look up to, to and say, hey, if I want to be a female priest, look, Ranjan has done it so well, maybe I can do it too. Right. No, I think uh, I think that is very true. And the fact that uh, the fact uh, that uh, the openness of, yeah. uh, you know, belief that uh, we can do whatever we want, it, yeah. that has to be instilled uh, in you. Uh, I mean, in the person from the from childhood. Right. You know? Right. Because uh, when you see someone uh, doing it on their own, you feel that you can do it on your own. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you this, Ranjan, is um, what is something that people don't know about you? You know, you have a very public personality and, of course, you're in, you know, a, a field that, you know, you're talking to many, many people and, of course, weddings. But is there something people don't know about you that, that you can share? Oh, my goodness. Huh. That is, you have stumped me. <laughs> you really have. Um what do they not know? That I'm artist by nature, actually. I do a lot of beadwork. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of, uh, I teach a lot of cooking uh, classes I, I, uh, at a community college. My mother uh, was a, a bead artist herself. Uh, and, uh, so I, le- I saw her do it and I, I, I did it. Uh, the other thing that, uh, people may not know is that I knit and crochet. Really? Cool. Yes. You, you are so multi-varied creative. Of, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, I'm just, a, I like different, I would like to work with my hands. Yeah, that's great. So probably the general term I would use is that I'm very hands-on yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So anything I, I sew a lot. Uh, so my kids would say, oh, mom, uh, my uh, uh, my granddaughter, you know, can you make a dress for her? So, you know, two hours, give me two hours and I'll whip something up. No. <laughs> So what what have you created in the past? You you said dresses. I have made a few dresses for my grandchildren. I have uh, done some bead bead art that I exhibited at our local library. Uh, uh, I have. I'm not a big painter, but I can uh, do different things with uh, you know beads. Wow. Um, I I create. I have made a lot of uh, bead frames that are, uh, you know, that you could uh, probably put it in your house. So like two by two, uh, as big as that, like two feet long. Maybe that's another business that you can do as an offshoot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing that I'm good at is putting on a sari for anyone. Yeah. That, that is a, that is a very crucial crucial um thing to know especially when you're at weddings right. i mean literally people say, oh my god that feels so good <laughs> yeah because you're like good. i have years of practice with this <laughs> yes <laughs> awesome so well let, let me now switch to our rapid fire questions in our last 15 minutes and again these are questions that we've asked all our audience members and uh you know had some 
our, our, all our guests, and we've had some amazing responses. So the first question for you, Ranjan, is, is there an item or service that you've bought recently that has dramatically improved your life? Um, item. Small or big? I, I want to... Huh? <clears throat> I said it can be small or big. Right. I was just going to say, uh, I I always want to... Uh, carry uh, 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 what is it called a pair of scissors or a right. needle and a thread and needle or something like that uh, I always want that because whenever I the, uh, there have been times not whenever there have been times when I would have to go to if I'm in a hotel lobby or something I would have to ask them for a needle and thread so right. that right. is something I want to you know, carry all the time. And if I don't have it, I always wind up needing it. Yeah, sure, sure. So <laughs> one time my granddaughter had uh, uh, flip-flops and uh, you know how the kids have the flip-flops, uh, there is a strap in the back. Right, yeah. So it yeah. was very loose. So uh, she was, you know, tripping over it. <laughs> I said, let me go and get the needle and I'll shorten it. Yeah. To the rescue, so, right? <laughs> yeah. So it has to feel the, yeah. So needle and thread is something that I want to carry. And when I go to my daughter's and house, I want to carry my thread and needle and scissors. There's a box that I have that sure. I carry. Sure. You take everywhere. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Next question is, when you think of a South Asian person you look up to in your field, so it, let's say in, in priesthood, who would you say comes to mind and why? Vandana, uh, what's her last name? The environmentalist, uh, Vandana Shiva. She is the one who has, uh, you know, really worked uh, in the environmental field. And uh, I always feel that she is the person who has uh, uh, enlightened or exposed the problem of water uh, in India and uh, the scarcity of it and how, you know, she's working towards, because I think she was working on a Narmada project. Uh, she was actually be, was an activist for the Narmada project in Gujarat. And so I was very much, uh, you know, impressed by her and I see her as a, as a environmentalist. I want to, I normally want to hear from her, Whenever, she, wherever she is, if she is, if there are, you know, lectures or something, uh, I would always, you know, listen to it and always want to uh, go to conferences. Have if you she, ever met her? I actually went to a lecture that she uh, had delivered at Harvard. Okay. So, uh, because when she came to Boston, I I did attend her lecture. So. That is something that I want to, you know, if I read about her, I want to read more about her. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So that is the person. Okay, next question for you is, what is a movie or book that has had the most impact on you? I have to tell To Kill a Mockingbird, Hmm. only because that was the first English uh, novel I had read. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, at that time, you read it as a reading, reading kind of thing and get excited about, oh, what happens and all that. 
but the impact that uh, book has in the and the relevance it has in the current uh, uh, you know times is profound i didn't realize it until recently that how profound it was mm-hmm. for me when that i remember that i read that book you know did you read the sequel that came out huh i said did you read the sequel that came out no i haven't yeah. but um, uh, yeah it is on my to-do list yeah it is it is a powerful book and it's one of those books that you read at least growing up as part of your required reading but then right. to your point it 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 brings on another sense of um you know uniqueness to the time when you see how it applies to things that are happening right now and so relevant right now right. so relevant right yeah and you don't realize it until you sort of you know sit down and think about it right that uh, uh, that uh, in those days you know they had such a hard time even to be you know uh, to be part of the society right right yeah no that's that's very true so when did you, when did you first read it like years ago i think i was in uh, i was in undergrad like maybe third year or fourth year of college okay got it and uh, I had uh, just started reading. Uh, I mean, you read uh, in English. You read a lot of uh, you know books like uh, your uh, syllabus books and all that. Mm-hmm. But I had not read uh, uh, English novels at the time. Got it. Got it. And uh, you would read Hindi, Gujarati, all those novel novels, but not in English. But then after that, there was uh, I read was Godfather. Oh wow. Wow. Godfather, I skipped school to finish reading <laughs> Did it. You That's really? how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. So my mom said, Oh, what are you doing? And I would say, Oh, I'm reading. So she would say, But don't you have to go to school? Oh, I took off. Yeah. As, because at that time I was doing my master's. So my mom didn't know when I'd take off or not take off or. But it was funny. So that was my second was Godfather. Nice, nice. It's a so, good thing to completely read. Completely opposite. <laughs> um, I actually have another question from Mira that I'll pass it on to her for free for her to ask. Hi again. I just wanted to say I've been having such a great time listening to you. I love weddings and everything about weddings. So this has been such a fun interview. Um, But I just wanted to ask, you meet so many, um, you know, young couples who are starting this new chapter together, married life. I was wondering if you give them any advice or if you have any kind of piece of staple advice you give to these couples. I have always told because I am I got divorced uh, when uh, uh, my kids were younger so I am. I always tell everyone I'm not the one to give advice, but the only advice I, I, looking back, I would have wanted my husband to listen to me and to appreciate me. So that is what I feel that the spouses, the couple, should do for one another: not take it for granted and not listen to the other person. I love that. 
I love that. Listen and appreciate it. I, I'm married. I'm going to be married five years this December, so I'll make sure to write that one down. <laughs> yes, please do. Because getting uh, uh, and you you do get caught up in your life, and you do get uh, you know in a routine where you do not uh, you feel that oh fine she's going to do it you just do it and then you uh, you get busy with whatever is going on in your life and you never stop. To right. even you know think that how much uh, uh, you know effort the other person is putting in anything you do you know so right. appreciate and not take it for, uh, I mean appreciate by not taking it for granted and listen I, I think listening that. is the biggest thing that if I wanted to look back that would have helped a lot I love that on the theme of advice what advice would you give someone listening who you know potentially wants to break into you know priesthood or something that they're not you know their family's telling them not to do what advice would you give them and why listen to your gut feeling that's my advice if you want to do it go ahead and do it because if you if it is in your heart you will come i mean you cross you will uh, you know climb over the mountains because to go to the other side, if it is in your heart, if it is not, then I, there is nothing anyone can do. Right. Sure. So if your gut feeling says you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Love that. Listen to your gut. Wow. Ranjan, this has been such an amazing interview. Thank you so, so much for your time. Before we close, do you have any final ask for the audience? Anything you'd like to leave them with? The last word sentence I said, listen to yourself. That is what you could do to whatever you are doing in your life, whatever it is. If it's, uh, if you listen to yourself, the, you're, you will find your way. You will find your way. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. We, we truly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if you're a, a couple in the Boston area and you need someone to, to officiate your wedding, Please, please reach out to to Ranjan. We'll put all our contact details uh, in, in in our in our post. So, thank you again for being on. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.